Do you want to know who's the hottest president? Doesn't make you glow to learn sick cabello. reward you will earn if you spend some time with us we all dress like your dad and wear glasses we assure you it's not that bad with three dudes wearing glasses my name is Gus, and I'm wearing a blue crop top. My name is Mitchell, and I'm wearing a green shirt. And my name is Evan, and I'm wearing a red shirt that says, Bring your best wood on it. <laughs> <laughs> and we are three dudes wearing plaid. Every week on the show, we learn something brand new. The only catch is we have no idea what we're going to be learning about yet. The thing I want to bring into this episode, from all of the previous attempts that we've made at recording it, which has been manifold, how, uh, is that how dare you insinuate that we are not podcast masters and audio technicians? Podcaster <laughs> is actually a portmanteau of podcast master. Oh, is it? damn, you're right. Yeah, look it up. Well, I'm doing that right now. You won't find phone. it because I'm lying, but that'd be funny. We gotta stop lying to people. Thank you for saying we in a way that implies that it's not just me. No problem, bestie. So here's the thing, right? Koalas get a lot of chlamydia, but it's not clear from a Google search how much chlamydia they get, and that's frustrating to me. Koalas get a lot of chlamydia. I'm looking up the statistics now. Because the thing is, when you Google it, it says 40% of koalas have chlamydia, but what it really means is that 40% of the koalas admitted to one particular koala hospital were admitted because they had chlamydia, which is not the same thing. Right. It is from a live science article, which we cite a lot on the show. I guess Rosie Booth, who directs the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital in Birwa, Australia, of the 300 to 500 koalas they treat every year, 40% of them are infected with chlamydia. Right. But that's not... That, that can't possibly count the koalas that don't get admitted to the koala hospital, but do have chlamydia. Right. I am looking right now at a National Geographic article by Liz Langley, in which it says chlamydia, comma, a type of sexually transmitted disease also found in humans, end comma, has hit wild koalas hard, with some wild populations seeing a 100% infection rate. What the fuck? What? Yeah. That's too high. And now I'm getting paywalled, so I can't continue. Well. That's, God, I understand why they need the John Oliver Memorial Koala Chlamydia <laughs> Award now. They all have That's it. exactly. Did we all hear about that first from that one Last Week Tonight segment? Absolutely. Yes. Not as good, I will say, as the John Oliver sewage treatment plant or whatever that's now in Danbury, Connecticut, although I might be biased because that's close to my house and slightly close to Gus's house. I just think it's nice that John Oliver keeps getting all of these terrible things named after him. Good for him. Good I'm proud of John him. Oliver, I think. He's he's really trailblazing late night, I assume. I don't know I, that much about late night. Is he, though? Did Johnny Carson get, like, weird shit named after him? <laughs> Basically, my question vis-a-vis the late night talk show is, how the fuck did we get here? Well, funny you should ask, Gus, but I'm on an article from the website Distractify. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's talking about 
and and this must be true, 15 of the craziest moments ever on late night television. None of them have Johnny Carson, strangely. Evidently, huh. Mustafa Gatilari didn't think that was important enough. But there are things on here like Madonna saying fuck a bunch in front of David Letterman, the John Oliver medical debt thing. There's some, there is some wild shit on here. I think Johnny Carson was just too early. Oh, here's Marlon Brando smooching Larry King. Isn't that nice? Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Love wins. Um... <laughs> I am currently on the Wikipedia page for Late Night Talk Show, and it's Hey, me that, too. <gasps> wow, I bet we're going to talk about the same exact thing. Yeah. So it seems that Late Night Talk Shows had their earliest genesis in sort of like radio variety shows, which then migrated to television when that became a thing. The best sort of exemplified by the Ed Sullivan Show, which we all know and have no strong feelings about. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And to get more specific, one of the variety shows that was really a clear precursor to the modern late night talk show was the Pepsodent show. I'm sorry, Pepsodent? Yeah, sponsored, right. presumably, by Pepsodent Toothpaste. Yeah, it sponsored the program for its entire 10-year run. But the thing about the Pepsodent show was it, quote, opened each weekly episode with host Bob Hope's rapid-fire topical and often political observational comedy. And that was sort of a very clear and important predecessor to the current late night format. So the Ed Sullivan show is what we would think of as like, this is the late night talk show predecessor. But even before that, Bob Hope was doing late night talk show type of things on the radio. Shilling for toothpaste. Right, yeah, shilling for Pepsodent. <laughs> God, what a good investment for the Pepsodent community. <laughs> the Pepsodent community? <laughs> Listen, man. <laughs> That's what brands are these days. Is this a community of toothpastes or a community of people who use said toothpaste? Sentient toothpaste, Evan. I mean, that's what I was imagining in my brain. A bunch of toothpaste tubes just walking around. Okay, here's something that, that's a little bit fun from early late night show stuff. Maybe nothing as crazy as getting a Koala Kalamini Award named after you. And this is like now our quest, I think, to find something crazier than that. Oh, yeah. The show Broadway Open House. Uh -huh. which started airing on NBC late at night in 1950, was hosted by Jerry Lester and Dagmar, also known as Virginia Dagmar Lewis, who is, you know, was a woman and one of the first major, like, female television stars. Wikipedia is telling me that that show, Broadway Open House, only ended because Jerry Lester was mad that he was getting upstaged by Dagmar. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is uh, hilarious. Funnily enough, looking at the next paragraph, the first actual late night TV talk show was hosted by a woman, Faye Emerson, uh, called <gasps> The Faye Emerson oh. Show, which started airing in 1949. Unfortunately, however, there is no Wikipedia page for either Faye Emerson or The Faye Emerson Show, so I can't find anything else out right now. Faye Emerson does have a Wikipedia page. <gasps> it's just not hyperlinked in the late night talk show Wikipedia page. This is the unacceptable. Ah. I'm going to put in a formal complaint with the talk page. Do it. Her prolific appearances on many talk shows and game shows throughout the 1950s earned her the nickname the First Lady of Television. Damn right. That's good representation. She looks like a cool lady who definitely didn't do anything bad. <laughs> Certainly not given the time period that she lived in. Uh-huh. Nope. nope. Nothing bad in the 50s. I'll tell you what. Oh, dude, from 1944 to 1950, she was married to FDR's son, Elliot Roosevelt. What? Son? What? Yeah, and his name was Elliot. Elliot Roosevelt. Colonel Elliot. He's a military man. <laughs> 
Oh, how unfortunate for Elliot Roosevelt. Again, we can't dig into it because we're talking about late night, but as a reconnaissance commander, Roosevelt pioneered new techniques in night photography and meteorologic, meteorological data gathering, but his claims to a distinguished record on combat missions have been largely discounted. Thank you, next. <laughs> Sorry, sweaty. <laughs> Faye Emerson's filmography is fucking extensive. Oh? You go to her Wikipedia page and the table of her filmography just completely fills the screen. And like, she was in eight different films in 1941 alone. Damn. Good lord. One of them was a short film. Okay. And all of them were pretty short back then, I imagine. Probably. But mm-hmm. still, that's fucking wild. Yeah. So we were talking about Johnny Carson, who of course hosted The Tonight Show. Yes. And- He was not the first host. He was, in fact, the third. The others being Steve Allen, Jack Parr, and then Johnny Carson, and then Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, and Jimmy Fallon. Yes. Steve Allen, the very first host of The Tonight Show, was originally a radio personality, which makes sense because, you know, he started hosting The Tonight Show when TV started being a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was not only the host, but also the creator of the show, which he made after he left CBS. Oh my god, wait a minute. I was thinking that's a lot of hosts. Guys, the program the program that Jimmy Fallon currently hosts, yeah, the Tonight Show, which has gone through various incarnations, is mm-hmm. um <clears throat> is the longest running talk show and also the longest running regularly scheduled entertainment program in the United States. It's wow. been going the longest. Very Why? impressive. That's so much. Also, apparently, in other accomplishments, in addition to things about their hosts, uh, apparently they were the first late night show to have a sitting president on, which was uh, a Mr. Obama himself. Oh, that's cool. Obama was only the first to go on late night TV? I find that surprising. I think, I mean, I think there were other shows like daytime TV that had had presidents on them. But just not late night. Late night has that slightly scandalous air to it. Dude, Madonna says fuck on these shows. You think they're going to get president, <laughs> a president, a president on them? Well, I mean, that said, I'm kind of shocked Bill Clinton wasn't on. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Back in his days of being Bill Clinton. So the original Tonight Show ran from 11.15 p.m. to 1 a.m. on the East Coast. Oh, damn, that's late. And Alan told his nationwide audience the first evening that it was created. A quote that would become prophetic. This is tonight, and I can't think of too much to tell you about it, except I want to give you the bad news first. This program is going to go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I think it might. Dude. He meant that he continued on to say, you think you're tired now? Wait until you see one o'clock roll around. But, I mean, he was right. It's been going on for so long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That has like the same vibe as that one Menander quote that you're going to put on your gravestone. It does. (laughs) The Tonight Show itself has gone through several name changes. Mm -hmm. It aired under the name Tonight for its early years. But then Jack Parr got so fucking popular as the host that it changed his name to both Tonight Starring Jack Parr and then also the Jack Parr show. Oh. And eventually, once Johnny Carson came on, they settled on The Tonight Show starring or with or, you know, hosted by whoever the current host's name was. Gotcha, Mm -hmm. gotcha, gotcha. But damn, did people really love Jack Parr? Did they ever? (laughs) So we had started this off wondering if the hosts of oldie timey late night talk shows ever did anything absolutely crazy. They don't seem to have done anything quite as crazy 
as John Oliver, as I know so far, there's more research to do. But in 1973, Johnny Carson managed to cause a toilet paper shortage. What? In one of his monologues that he was doing during the night, he joked that there was a shortage in toilet paper based on sort of like these other shortages, particularly in gas and meat that had been happening in the economy at that time because it was the 70s. But he made that joke about toilet paper, and then the next day, consumers went out and hoarded toilet paper, leading to a complete and utter toilet paper shortage that lasted for three weeks. Oh Oh my my god. God. There's actually a documentary called The Great Toilet Paper Shortage by filmmaker Brian Gestin that is about this situation. How do you fuck up that bad? In terms of other crazy things that late night hosts have done, Jack Parr resigned on air. Did they know? It seems like nope. Oops. (laughs) So here's the thing, right? Uh Uh-huh. The February 10th 1960 show episode of Tonight Starring Jack Parr, NBC censors cut one of his jokes from the show and replaced it with news coverage and didn't tell him. And the joke was, by our modern standards, incredibly tame. Do they say what the joke is? Oh yeah, it's the whole thing. They have the full text of the joke, if I may. Yes, you may. An English lady is visiting Switzerland. She asks about the location of the WC, which of course in English would mean the water closet, i.e. the bathroom. Yeah. The Swiss, thinking she is referring to the Wayside Chapel, leaves her a note that said, in part, The WC is situated nine miles from the room that you will occupy. It is capable of holding about 229 people and is only open on Sunday and Thursday. It may interest you to know that my daughter was married in the WC, and it was there that she met her husband. I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat for you, if you wish, where you will be seen by everyone. Okay. That's That's clever. offensive. I am shocked. I mean, for 1960 television, it probably was worse, but they cut it, replaced it with news coverage, and didn't tell him, and on the show the very next night, he left his desk in the middle of the program and quit the show. Damn. Jesus. And his quitting monologue said there must be a better way of making a living than this. Oh my god. Parr had earlier told his announcer Hugh Downs of his intention to quit the show, but he first thought Parr was joking and expected the host to return to the stage, but the abrupt departure left Downs to finish the broadcast himself. That's fucking powerful. The entire broadcast of this episode exists on audio tape from WMCT in Memphis. Holy shit. Also, less wild than that, but something interesting about Jack Parr is apparently... uh, The Beatles showed up at the Ed Sullivan Show, and that's what most people know is their, like, big debut. But apparently on The Tonight Show, Jack Parr showed film clips of the Beatles performing, like, about a month before they went on the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, wow. So get owned, Ed. Also, speaking of the intersection of crazy things and getting fired or leaving a show, Uh I don't know if you guys heard about this, but Conan O'Brien hosted the show for the shortest amount of time, The Tonight Show, that is. And it may not have been as exorbitant as getting a Koala Chlamydia Award, but evidently the story goes that NBC decided he wasn't going to host anymore, I think because Jay Leno wanted to come back, although someone can check me on that. So NBC basically like gave him his notice, and uh, I'm looking, this is another listicle from bestlifeonline.com. And so he said, fine, I'm just going to set a one and a half million dollars on fire. Oh. Metaphorically, by buying the most expensive car in the world, a Bugatti Venyon at the time, bringing it on air and having it blast the Rolling Stones' satisfaction, the most expensive song to license at the time. (laughs) 
and huh. giving giving his notice to NBC that he would be leaving. Damn, all right. Also, in that Madonna interview, she said fuck 14 times to David Letterman. Good for her. Which is it was, I guess, an at the time record for the most censored late night interview. Nice. But censorship laws have been relaxed. It was Johnny Carson who shortened the show to its current 60-minute format mm-hmm. after renegotiating his contract because it had previously been shortened to 90 minutes, but even that was too much fucking time to fill. And you can tell that they all had to fill time because of Wikipedia's list of Johnny Carson's recurring segments and skits, including Karnak the Magnificent, in which Carson played a psychic who clairvoyantly divined the answer to a question contained in a sealed envelope. The answer was always an outrageous pun. That's good. For example, the answer was debate, and the question ended up being, what do you use to catch de fish? (laughs) And of course, the answer was Ben Gay, and the question was, why didn't Mrs. Franklin have any kids? (laughs) Ben Gay. Ben Gay. Ben Doobie Gay, though. Evidently, this follows a long tradition from Johnny Carson, because he wanted to be a magician as a kid. What? Yeah, this is just from Johnny Carson's Wikipedia. He grew up in Iowa, then moved to Nebraska, and he found a book on magic, wanted to be a magician, and debuted as the Great Carsoni at age 14. Oh my god. (laughs) He would not later become a professional magician, but while he was in the Navy, he did magic, and then got the attention of U.S. Secretary of the Navy, James Forrestal. Oh. And did a card trick for him and impressed someone as cranky and sophisticated as Forrestal. Huh. Cranky and sophisticated. Two of the best adjectives. I guess he was pretty good at magic. Cool. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. Will you let me talk a little bit more about Johnny Carson's nascent magic interest? Please do. Oh, my God. This was like a big late late night moment because it's got his whole... On Johnny Carson's personal Wikipedia page, it's got his own thing, about the magician Yuri Geller. In 1973, this this guy, who was a self-proclaimed psychic and magician, showed up on The Tonight Show. He was just going to be there for an interview. But Johnny Carson, who was a psych- was a pun psychic, I guess, right. and also a magician, was skeptical of this guy's, like, claims to actually be magic. And so they prepared, like, all this, like, magic props and hid them and didn't tell the magician or any of his, like, PR people. And then <laughs> Yuri Geller walks on stage and Johnny Carson says, all right, do some magic. <laughs> and then Geller was unable to display any paranormal abilities, saying, I don't feel strong. Huh. According to Adam Higginbotham's article, a retrospective from 2014 in the New York Times, the result was a legendary immolation in which Geller offered up flustered excuses to his host as abilities failed him again and again. Wow. I mean, that's fucking mean, but it's also hilarious. Mm. To talk a little bit more about the strange beginnings of late night talk show hosts, I'm currently on uh, David Letterman, the other sort of big early late night talk show host. The big boy. The other big boy. And he was a weatherman is his first job. What? And even in this position, he was doing his late night talk show things. Did you not know based on his last name that that was his previous career? David Wetterman. I mean, I should have. There, there has to be a reason jumped. he's called David Weatherman. It's yeah. the way it is. He received some attention for his unpredictable on-air behavior, which including congratulating a tropical storm for being upgraded to a hurricane, predicting hailstones yeah. the size of canned hams, and occasionally <laughs> reporting the weather for fictitious cities. Dude, oh. Funny, funny stuff. Just hilarious. That kind of slaps, actually. Like, 
It's not, you're not going to bust your gut laughing, but I don't know. I feel like I would enjoy it if my weatherman did that stuff. Better than like the normal weatherman humor. Yeah. The the weird, like, it's not sexual tension between local TV hosts, but it's tension of a sort. Huh. I would argue it is. Elaborate on okay. that. <laughs> Elaborate on that? No. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, I'm going to completely redirect us Thank to a you. CNN style article. From 2021. That's today. Written by Jackie Palumbo, called How the Late Night Talk Show Set Became an American Icon. For more than six decades, American late night talk show hosts have sat behind large wooden desks with guests in cushioned chairs or couches to their right. It's like, yeah, okay, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. And that's something like I kind of didn't think about, but they are all structured exactly the same fucking way. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's almost like they're all copying each other. <laughs> Yeah, as it turns out, Steve Allen first introduced the desk during his iteration of The Tonight Show. It was Johnny Carson, whose affable, family-friendly charm became synonymous with Late Night, and his long-running show cemented the hierarchy implicit in the layout of the set. It's less democratic if someone is sitting behind a desk in an elevated position, said an expert that they talked to. Some guy. (laughs) Name is Keith Raywood, a production designer who has built sets for O'Brien and Fallon. The setup leaves the guests fully exposed. Mm. And it kind of gives the host like a little bit of a distance to them. And it notes that some of the most creative takes on talk show sets have come out of the parodies, which have become as ubiquitous as Late Night itself. And of course, it makes reference to the Eric Andre show. I was about to talk about the fucking Eric Andre show. Because Eric Andre, Me too. <laughs> like the Eric Andre show constantly like destroys its set. Yeah. Yes. But the set always comes back. The opening credits involve the house band, which is another feature of late night shows, playing a jazzy tune as Eric Andre runs around destroying the set. He then sits down and the exact same set drops into place. And it's amazing. And so even the parodies kind of reinforce the idea that like, yeah, for a late night talk show, host behind desk, guest exposed in chair. This is how it works. And the expert Keith Raywood said that after seven decades of following the same formula, maybe it is time for something new. Every generation veers into another direction. So why are we doing the same show every time? I would like to bring us three quarters of a circle of the way back. 270 degrees. 270 degrees to our good friend, John Oliver. Ah, yeah. um, We all, as we know, about the city of Danbury, John Oliver Memorial Sewer Plant. But he's also been responsible for several other crazy adventures, including creating a children's book about Marlon Bundo, a gay rabbit who belongs to the former Vice President Mike Pence. And he created a fake church, Our Lady of Perpetual Exemption, to demonstrate how easy it is for churches to qualify for a tax-exempt status in the U.S. And there's actually been a scientific, I say scientific with air quotes around it, effect called the John Oliver Effect, which reports that topics that are discussed by John Oliver on his show often get actually addressed by policymakers shortly after because of the sort of influence that his show has on sort of public perception and things that the public care about. So, for example, he had a show where he discussed net neutrality, which was not really something that was talked about at all. And then shortly after that, we had the whole sort of big, giant net neutrality uh, debate in, I think that was like 2014, 2015. That sounds right. Who knows? That sounds about right. But anyway, John Oliver maybe actually influences policy. Who knows? Cool. He definitely influences koalas. Yes, he does. Should we tell that story? Do people not know that story? I feel like we should tell that. Listen, if you're interested in that story, we're almost out of time, folks. Just go look up John Oliver Koala Chlamydia and you'll get like a bazillion video results. Yeah. 
Yeah, you do the work. But did you find anything about Eric Andre to close this out? Not really. I, I've been stymied to find interviews uh, about it, the set. But I will say, one of the best parts about the Eric Andre show is the interviews, where you can't always see it, but the reason everyone looks so uncomfortable is they don't tell them what's going to happen. They crank up the heat to like 200 degrees. <laughs> Sometimes they stuff like rotting clams under the, the seats. And then they have crazy shit happen. And that's why people walk off the set or just freak out. And if you want a good laugh, look up uh, Eric Andre and Margaret Thatcher. It's my favorite moment from that fucking show. And it's yes. so good. It's so funny. Last thing, this actually is about the set. Season one of the Eric Andre show was filmed over the course of 10 days, with the opening sequences all filmed together over two and a half days at the end of the shoot. At least 20 desks were broken while filming the first season. <laughs> oh my and god. Despite the desk being constructed of drywall to make it easier to break, Eric Andre did suffer injuries during the season's production from breaking so many desks. <laughs> yeah, because he sledgehammers and elbow drops and does all crazy shit on it. Absolute this power This was move. a absolute power move. This was a wild time, and I would love to know what we've learned today. Well, the late night talk show originated with sort of variety shows, originally on the radio, eventually on television. They were popularized by two female performers who, uh... One of them was Faye Emerson. One of them named Faye Emerson, who lived a wild life, including marrying the son of F. FDR. Who was not that remarkable, even though Wikipedia authors are trying to make him so. <laughs> the longest running and arguably most venerable late night television program in the United States is The Tonight Show, which began in the 1950s and is running up until today and has a numerous hosts. Six, to be precise. Six hosts. Steve Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno, and its current host, Jimothy Fallon. <laughs> That's his name. What? The other sort of bastion of earlier late night talk shows along with Ed Sullivan was David Letterman, who started as a weatherman and did some kooky shit as a weatherman that ultimately led him to his late night career, including reporting the weather of fictional cities. Late night talk show hosts do wild stuff. Sometimes they can cause toilet paper shortages. Sometimes they can get chlamydia awards for koalas named after them. And sometimes they are what one website has called Dadaist. That's a callback. <laughs> like the Ayo. Eric Andre show, which everyone should watch. Our boy John Oliver, about whom this episode was... That was not a great sentence construction, is but we're dedicated. just going to keep steamrolling ahead. Oliver. To whom this episode is dedicated, this one's for you, John, might be influencing actual United States government policy by talking about things on his show. That's it? Yeah, that's probably it. Thank you boys so much for finally managing to record this episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm still if knocking like the on show, wood. That's fair. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. If you hate the show, man, haven't we been through enough? And either way, follow us on Instagram at 3DWPCast. I'm Gus. I'm Mitchell. And I'm Evan. And this has been Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Have a great day. Next time on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. I love this for us. We're successful. We're productive. I am manifesting an episode. This is great. I'm loving this. I'm sure you are. For the listeners at home. This has been a technical disaster for Evan. This is maybe the fourth time we're attempting a recording of this particular episode? Find out next week on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Mm.